Welcome to episode 23 of Booty and Bossy Eat, Drink, Knit, and Happy Winter, I have to say, because at least where I am in central Massachusetts, we're under about a foot of snow, and it's a snowy winter day, which is a perfect day for a recipe for soup that Booty is going to tell us all about. So take it away, Booty. First of all, Happy New Year. It's 2024. To celebrate, we're doing another Ina Garden recipe. (laughs) This one is her winter minestrone. Because it really is winter right now. It it really is so perfect for a day like you're having. We actually have sun, which is bizarre, but it was rainy and cold earlier. So I made this into a vegetarian soup for my daughter, and we all enjoyed it. It's really easy to do the vegetarian part. Okay, so basically you start, as many recipes do, with a mirepoix, which is a French word for an onion, carrot, celery mixture. And oh, I, I didn't wait a second. Pause, please. I mm. didn't know there was a word for that. I don't. That's not an Ina. That is Booty's own addition, isn't it? Yeah, mirepoix. I learned this recently because I looked it up on the mm. Google, and um, it's named after some duke in the early 1800s who was the Duke of Mirepoix. Normally, the French use two parts onion to one part carrot, one part celery. And it's the basis for many good things. In this one, she's actually doing two cups of carrots, two cups of celery, and a cup and a half of yellow onions. So she is not respecting the proportions Mm. of the mirepoix, but that's okay. I actually didn't really measure. I just used an onion and few carrots. So anyway, you, you make them a pretty small dice. Then you add the squash garlic and thyme and you cook that for eight to ten minutes so that's a pretty long time until the vegetables are softened wait a second booty where's the pancetta coming in i feel like well if you if you're doing the vegetarian version oh right you're not so if you're not if you're doing the regular version you start with the pancetta you cook the pancetta and then you add your mirepoix and your squash the butternut squash makes it so good It just adds a certain richness. It's really, really good. And I think it's important to use fresh thyme. But if you Mm. don't have it dried, and then you add your tomatoes, your chicken stock, bay leaf, salt and pepper, and you're going to cook that for a while. She says 30 minutes. I would say whatever. Then you add some canned cannellini beans. We like to do two cans. She does one yes. because it goes a little further. I feel like the proportions are better with two cans also. Yeah. I mean, especially if you're not adding the meat. Yeah. I think you would definitely want to add more. Yeah. A little more protein there. A little more protein. And then you've got a couple of cups of cooked pasta, like little pasta. And... I found this really good pasta at our local fancy market called Goodle. So it tastes just like regular pasta and they were little shells, but it has 
pumpkin seed and all these other sort Oh, of, so it's a, so it's it's actually a protein. It's not just your starchy, but yeah. it tastes really good. It was not, I was skeptical. I was like, I don't know if that's going to ruin it. And it was actually really good. So I'll put Oh, in a link for that because yeah, it's like, oh, wow. So yeah, that sounds like it would have a little more, especially if you're doing a vegetarian, it would have a little more. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. The other thing I, I use, she says box tomatoes. I used like finely diced and I think it should be more just chopped tomatoes. I was hoping that it would have more tomato pieces than the finely diced is just a sauce, a thick sauce. And then at the end, you add some white wine and pesto, and then you're tossing it with some spinach leaves so that spinach Yeah. leaves wilt. I loved the spinach at the end. I thought that was really good. It's really not a soup, soupy soup. It's more like a stew. It's more like Yeah. a soup, which is nice. It definitely gets thicker, particularly over time, because the pasta, I use just regular pasta. And one of the things I like about this recipe is that it's it's good with whatever you have on hand. And so I had half a box of elbow macaroni. So throw that in there. I've actually also used a, just a 28 ounce can of crushed tomatoes. If you don't want the chunks, I also tend to leave the veg in pretty big chunks. I don't really do a smaller dice for that. I And I've also sometimes... roasted the butternut squash especially if I've got a pretty big squash and I don't want to use all of it in the soup I want to save some for a salad or something like that so I'll just roast it and I'll put it in at the end Well, and I know that Trader Joe's sells a mirepoix, so you can actually buy your onion, celery, carrot mixture already diced and peeled and everything. oh my god you're <laughs> and kidding and I think I've seen it at the grocery store too, the regular one. How do you spell it, Miss Fancy French? M I R E P O I X. Because the French always put in extra letters for fun. Yeah, Okay. I bought the already peeled and cubed butternut squash. <laughs> it's so nice to just, like, okay, I feel bad about the plastic. Oh, my God. But, yeah, so you can really make this a fast recipe if you don't even have to do the chopping. <laughs> yeah. Well, I do like this recipe. I use, this is another recipe that's perfect for if you've bought a ham, Hmm. which we had at Christmas. So then we had the, again, the definition of eternity is spiral ham. So instead of the pancetta, I just uh, chopped up some leftover ham and sauteed it and then added the onions and carrots and celery, which if you're making it a non-vegetarian version. Yeah, it's really good to do add the Yeah. ham in there. And and you can always add the ham in, you know, I think this is an easy one to separate if you have some vegetarians and you just Yeah. add it because that want it. I mean, it's nice if you can get do it at the beginning, but it's Yeah. also good after. I and I have also used instead of ham or I think the recipe calls for pancetta, but I've just used regular bacon 
That's really good. That is <laughs> nice. Bacony hickory. Yes. Yes. Know. And well, and the other thing that goes with the soup is she makes a garlic bruschetta and she has those floating on top of the soup. I like to do, well, I like just French bread, but just a baguette. Or if you want to do a garlic baguette, what I would do is split your baguette into make a paste out of butter and salt and pepper thyme because you have that for the soup and if you have any other fresh herbs then you can add those as well and then you slather that on and put it in the oven at 375 i usually wrap the whole thing in aluminum foil so it doesn't yeah. burn or whatever so and then you have a nice warm and the smell from the mm. baguette is really good. Oh, so good. Yeah. Yeah. No, or I've even made like croutons mm -hmm. with, if you've got stale bread, mm. you know, you can chop them up into little squares and then just throw them in a pan with some olive oil and salt and pepper. You can add some garlic there too. That's really nice because then you've got a bunch of croutons and you can just throw those on top and keep them in a bag. And then I, I really like to put the Belgioso, we talked about it in another episode, the shredded Parmesan. It's not shredded. It's like shaved. 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 Thank you. Yeah. But kind of these nice big chunks, that's really good. I've also sometimes put lemon zest on top mm. too. And that adds a nice finish. A little um, a little yeah really good but what i like about it is that it's it's flexible you can you can do the meat or not you don't need to respect the proportions well and i gotta say yeah this is definitely country mouse and city mouse here because bossy had her turkey stock that she made from the things for the, in, that was in the freezer. There was in not, the freezer. To be clear, this was not yes. leftover, you know, month old chicken stock. And the pesto that you made from yes. your basil in the garden. Yeah. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I know. I that's disgusting. Um, that I but I don't yeah. know whether it's it's thrift, but no. Probably not. And you should talk about the pesto. Because you also freeze that. Yeah. So well, and I have to, I have to give a shout out to my administrative assistant Wendy, who, her garden, the basil this year was amazing. My garden's basil was like an epic fail. I, I put, I must have put basil in several times, and it just all turned black and. I don't even know what the deal was with it, but, but she brought in all this basil to me that our deal was that I would make pesto. I probably ended up making probably about two quarts of pesto. Wow. And so I, I put it in little jars, like little four ounce jars, which I, I gave her some and, and then I, I froze some, but then I also put it in ice cube tray and you put a little bit of olive oil on top because you know it does tend to turn black when it's exposed to air anyway and then i i freeze them in little so i'll do an entire ice cube tray and then i'll 
pop them out and freeze them in like two or three cubes um, with one of my vacuum sealer things so that I can just open that up and throw it into soup. I'm not sure it makes that much of a difference because you can get perfectly good pesto in a jar at the store. and But I do use it in a lot of stuff so yeah yeah it's a it, well it is better definitely i think it's definitely better when you have the homemade pesto that yeah and it is really easy to make i discovered recently and we might have to do this in a future episode homemade hummus is yeah. super easy to make and is so much better than what you get in the store i have grown basil in my apartment with an arrow garden like a uh, grow light thing oh yeah and the mm-hmm. basil actually does really well there's some plants that just don't seem to do well and but the basil is one that has will take over and so i i will have enough to make pesto with and it's it is way better than the the store yeah. one well, and I usually put, I, I'll put in lemon juice and lemon zest, and that kind of helps it stay green. The mm. other thing I do is I take frozen spinach and squeeze out all of the moisture and add that. And that will also help it stay green. It doesn't change the taste of it. You do two cups of basil, fresh basil leaves, and you might do like a half of a little one of those square boxes of spinach but that's a good way to keep it green there is something very gratifying in the middle of in the dead of winter when you're under a foot and probably since the time we've been talking it's now almost 15 inches (laughs) of snow which is really great looking forward (laughs) to going out and shoveling Mm, yeah, but there is something very gratifying about going into your freezer larder and mm. pulling out the the basil that you made over the summer and reminding yourself that there will be summer again, that you can try again <laughs> with the basil, but hopefully Wendy's basil will come to the rescue when yours fails. Yes, so, somebody, yeah. somebody was saying they should have a communal agreement with all the neighbors so that one person grows zucchini and one person grows basil one person grows tomatoes and you just swap around so it's not yeah (laughs) so that is our recipe the Ina garden winter minestrone which is a really good thing to have on a cold winter day or really any day and it does meet our booty and bossy criteria. It is one pot if you don't roast the butternut squash. Right. It keeps really well. It makes a lot. It's very versatile. You don't need to respect the proportions. And it is something that gets better a couple of days in. You might have to add a little chicken stock, but it, it definitely yeah. gets better. So highly recommend Booty, what else do you have for us? I did want to say, so for Christmas this year, shout out to my daughter because she made me a very beautiful shawl. She actually crocheted it and I love it so much. It's made with the Keith Leonard, the yarn snobs yarn. And it's just gorgeous. Oh, wow. 
totally springy too. I love the laciness of it and the colors, the pink and the white and the orange, but it's got this really cool flower lace at one end. Yes, I think she did an amazing job. She added some lines down. Yeah. Kind of like a top stitch almost. with. Oh, okay. Crochet. That and is... it smells so good. I think she used one of Marie Green's. Uh, oh, washes. Yeah. yeah wool wash. Like a, and one of just... the lavender ones or something. I am. I forget. I have a lot of them and they're so good. It smells so good. <laughs> that was a highlight. And she even got a shawl pin to go with it. It's a beautiful shawl pin in it. And it has a little bullet in the center. Oh. <laughs> I'm not sure That's what message cool. is there, but yeah. Uh, well, I, I think the idea is that you create something beautiful out of the a bullet. The Bible, mm. I think. So oh anyway. I have to say that my son loved the gnome that you made for him. And I should tell uh, our listeners, hi, mom, that Booty's daughter accessorized the gnome with a nose ring and with nipple rings that were <laughs> sort of hiding underneath the little arms. But my son immediately saw them and said oh it's even got nipple rings <laughs> and and he took it with him to college because i oh. saw it in the bag that yeah. was a huge hit the black grunge because your daughter did correct me that my son is not i had thought of him as kind of in his black goth phase but apparently that's not goth it's grunge my son made a set of playing cards for me this was a game that he invented. He has mom cards, like there's beer mom. <laughs> <laughs> he did such a great job with all the titles of them. There was a Zen mom um, doing a fake yoga pose. And then there's the going on a hike mom. Oh. And Is there knitting mom. That's the special feature of my cards because they're designed to play with my daughter's cards and my husband's cards. So my cards have a special yarn boost <laughs> <laughs> that affects other cards. So, mm -hmm. and we actually played it a, a couple of times. We test tested it and it was really fun to play. And it was really fun to see the different cards in action. And oh, yeah, totally the homemade cool. gifts are just the best. Yeah, it was funny when I um we went out yeah. to Pittsburgh to visit my husband's family. So my son was appearing in his full grunge regalia. So he had black pants and black shirt and black belt. And then he was wearing this black hat The that actually I think you had made for my husband, but he's stolen it and it's already gone down to philadelphia with him and stuff i think it was the the arabelle well annabelle annabelle so he's been wearing that all vacation my little nephew his cousin who's about eight when he first saw my son he said what are you wearing you look terrible and what's that on your head 
And mind you, these are kids that they're they're very preppy athlete type. Mm. They were they all wear Nike stuff all the time. So my son said, what, "What's this on my head? My mom made this hat." And I'm standing there, and my nephew goes, "Oh, it's really cool. It's really cool." <laughs> <laughs> and then a day later, he's like, he comes up to me, he goes, "Aunt Jenny, do you think you could could you make one of those hats for me?" You know. So, <laughs> So it went from, and what's that on your head? You look terrible. To, oh, oh, oh! Can you can you make me one? So it was very funny. I love that. I love that he's changing the trends from the preppy yes. to the awesome yes. homemade. Well, and I have to say, on the subject of Thomas's hats, I don't know exactly what possessed me, but I I, I found this hat pattern one time. This was years ago. It was a hat that had a chicken on the top. Oh. (laughs) I made it for Thomas, and he wore it a lot. He loved that. And you also made him these little stuffed chickens, which when he was really little, he used to always go to bed with, and he would always have the one chicken that he would hold by the neck if I remember and that was how he would go to sleep he would be propped up with all these stuffed animals but then he had to be holding the one chicken in his left hand and it was sort of the perfect circumference that he could just hold it very comfortably he would have to go to sleep every night holding that chicken by the neck in his left hand and um, (laughs) so stinking cute yeah um, those are the best those are the best memories Well, and, and there was the one year that for New Year's resolutions, which I don't do, for Bossy's son, one of his resolutions, and this was years ago, was to spend more time with the chickens. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, my son was famous for making resolutions that weren't really resolving anything. I think that's the best kind of resolution. Yeah. I want to spend more time with myself. Doing the yeah. things that I like to Love. do. I need to knit more, read yes. more. But yes, so that yes. was that's awesome. We've discovered, uh, along with a lot of other people, may have heard about this wonderful video that this woman, Samantha Moore, she created an animation with these little knitted mice, and they're animating people talking about knitting and how knitting has healed them in some way or or things that you can do with your knitting that heals others. It's just a marvelous video. I love it so much. I've watched it, I think, at least 10 times. It is the best. You do have to watch it multiple times because part of it is the animation and the these wonderful little knitted animals. It reminded me a little bit of like Wallace and Gromit except that the animals are knitted mm-hmm. and they're sitting there knitting and it's actual knitting that they're doing I mean clearly mm-hmm. they had people who knew because you know how sometimes you see people they're in their knitting but you can tell like just somebody waving. just <laughs> handed some... them some pointed sticks and said just make it look like you know what you're doing and they epic fail but i think there's a compilation somewhere i'll see if i can find it of people faking knitting (laughs) that's just sometimes it'll be a crochet hook 
<laughs> no, but these little knitted animals, and they, they actually, they reminded me a little bit of a mouse version of the, the bunny that mm. I had knitted for mm -hmm. my mother-in-law. And they're just, the little animals are, are precious in and of themselves. And then the fact that they're animated and knitting and then you're listening to these various people reflecting on what knitting has meant for them. And I loved how well it synced with the with the animation. I just thought it was brilliant. Yeah. At one point they show a sweater and it's this woman talking who had a, a stroke or a major brain bleed. So the sweater basically represents her brain. And half of it gets undone. And then so she's trying to rebuild this half of her brain. So it shows the knitting coming back, but it's not the same. And then it comes back and and it's it's not the same sweater. It's not the same right. brain, but it works. It so it's functional. And I think that that, that overall message of you can mend yourself and it's not going to look the same. It doesn't have to be invisible. You don't have to forget that it happened. And it actually can be kind of an embellishment. Like there were little flowers and over the scars and yeah, some embroidery yeah. that that message of you can still be functional. And, and in the, the case of the, think it was the last story where it's, yeah she says she has terminal cancer and I meant to look at it again because at the beginning the first mouse that appears is fairly intact and I think it's the same mouse at the end but she's been patched up and at first what you see it towards the end when the woman is talking about how she has terminal cancer that mouse has a lot of patches on the coat and holes that have been mended by embroidered flowers. And there's this lovely sense that all of the wounds in her body uh, that her body has sustained have become these places for healing and for embellishment. And she's not really trying to hide any of it, but trying to see it as sort of opportunities for something else and she talks about how knitting and crocheting particularly when she's doesn't have a lot of strength is the only thing that she can do right that you can make something well and the other part that I really love there there's a woman who makes birds out of mm. basically if you're ever wondering what do I do with all my gauge swatches you can make a bird out of <laughs> and give it to somebody. Put a bird on it. Put a bird it's like on it. <laughs> yeah, it's like a yeah, it's like a lovey or. And she points out that when somebody dies and she kind of inherits their yarn, that she'll be thinking about that person as she's knitting with it, and like, oh, this is so and so's yarn, and and then the the bird represents that person. I, mm. I just love that idea. Yeah, and I loved how first of all, I guess your stash doesn't have to end up in the far right corner of secondhand booty that <laughs> thrift store 
Apparently, it could end up in a craft collective thing. And all of the little animated knitted birds, you start to notice that they've got different wings. And so there's the idea visually that they they represent different parts of different people there and remembered. I thought this was fascinating. There was actually one man who I think was like a retired math professor. And he talked about how he loves knitting for the way in which you can take a pattern that's all basically two symbols, knits and pearls, and that can be turned into a glove, that a pattern is a two-dimensional thing. And by following it, you can end up with a three-dimensional thing. That seems to be something that a mathematician would appreciate. Mm -hmm. But I'd never thought of it that way. And and I thought that was wonderful. Yeah, I know there are some people out there that are doing some knitting in computer programs and they're because of the three-dimension Mm -hmm. you're you know basically taking a string and turning it into an object yeah yeah which is it is fascinating but what I think that guy was also talking about what he liked to do is pharaoh which is Mm -hmm. also very I think mathematical because of the graphing and then he says but there are lots of mistakes yeah (laughs) but it gets back to that idea of that it's not mending or but it's something that there that there's really no mistake and I guess that's Mm -hmm. what I found so powerful about the woman who had cancer and the way that they represented that visually because I think oftentimes there's reconstructive surgery and stuff and I mean I've been fortunate enough I don't I've never had that experience but there's this tendency to be like well we want to make it look like it never happened and yet I think that probably having cancer is something that changes you in a way that, yeah, maybe you can make your body look like it never happened, but inside you have to be profoundly changed by that experience. And I just like the idea of these changes happening and you're not trying to cover them up. You're trying to acknowledge and live with them in a different way and that they can become opportunities for an embroidered flower. Exactly. It's very freeing to accept those changes. And then it's not a mistake or something that even in knitting, like the pharaoh, it's not a mistake. The other thing that he talked about, which again, the animation went so beautifully. He talked about how he would knit for a maternity ward that I guess had a fair number of mortality rates for premature infants. And he would knit these little vests. And he talked about how when he's knitting for somebody, he's thinking about, I mean, he doesn't know these little babies, but he's thinking about them. And he says, you knew where they were going. So you tried to do the best that you could for them. The animation is he's represented as a little teddy bear with a little nurse's hat. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Um, yeah. And and I thought this was so brilliant. So he's knitting these little mini blankets, you know, that come out of the needles of the teddy bear and they float up and they're like the souls of these lost infants. And yes. 
it's like a blanket that's sort of been tied in front, but there's nothing in them and they're open at the top. And through the opening, you can see these two little holes in the back, kind of where the white background comes through. So it almost looks like there's two little eyes. Yeah. So it's like the soul of the baby is wrapped in this little hand knit blanket that's floating up and then the blanket unravels and the soul is released. Nice. Yeah. And it's just this beautiful, powerful visual. Yeah. It's just really lovely and, and poignant. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like so much of the time people will look at knitting as a waste of time. Mm -hmm. And this is something that you do. And it certainly is something that is kind of a luxury because you're never going to be able to make something cheaper than what you could buy. I mean, right. I guess if somebody gave you the yarn, but, but yeah, it, so it feels like a bit of an extravagance to be knitting but it isn't so much about the the cost of material. I mean, the, the really big cost is your time. Right. And that is the time that you're spending for yourself or for somebody else. You're learning a skill. And the, and the video talked a little bit about how knitting is one of the few things where you're, you're using both your right and your left hand and, and that actually helps your brain in terms of the the right and left hemisphere yeah I think that the one woman I'll just read that because I thought I thought she explained it really well and I think it was a woman who maybe works as a mental health specialist and she said when we put our right hand into the left hand space it makes our brain work a little harder but then when you're doing a bilateral movement, so using both hands that cross in a coordinated pattern of movements, your hands have to work together in a very precise way, which means that your brain is working really hard. And if your hands are crossing the midline at the same time, then your brain has to work very much harder. And I, again, I hadn't really thought about it in that way because when you're really getting into a rhythm of knitting, but it explained why your hands, remember how Michelle Obama said, it's a way for the brain to sort of sit in the back seat and the hands to take over. But I think it's actually that the brain is right there. It's just the focus is on the hands, but right. that there's a lot that actually the brain really is doing there. Yeah, exactly. It's, yeah. And I mean, it's very gratifying to hear all these things about knitting because... <laughs> Well, and the, yeah, and the other story that I liked was of the woman who was talking about how she made a distraction blanket mm. that her son he was hit while riding a bike, and it took about 18 months for him to yeah. get back to something of himself. And so she started this distraction blanket of making these different squares, and it took her about 18 months months but she could focus on the wool and oh this color looks good and you could embroider it a bit and so you, you talk about it on the one hand of yeah it's maybe the luxury of time and materials but there's a way that it's also how you survive something traumatic like that and 
she didn't say it, but I do, I can imagine like if my son were in an accident like that, how, how hard that would be for the person who is watching somebody suffer right? and feeling helpless and bearing witness to their suffering. And really, you're just waiting for the healing power of time, hopefully, to work its magic. But you need something to do while you're waiting for that. And I think it's so beautifully captured the way that it is it is profoundly healing and it's not just a luxury of time and materials. Yeah. And I think that in that sense that when you make a layette, a set for a baby, that that has that power as well, that whether it's someone who's pregnant and making their own baby or you're making it for somebody else's that you're really thinking about this new human Mm -hmm. being and this event. So I think it works both for those happy things and also for the the healing after an injury. Uh, That's so important. Well, and I was inspired by this to mend a pair of socks and they were not even a pair of socks that I had knit myself, but I had this really nice pair of Bamba's wool socks and I love them and I had they they hadn't worn a hole but it was getting threadbare and I was like who am I Mm. I can fix this so Mm. oh and I found out I didn't tell you about this that our mom hi mom said that grandma so this would be our mom's mother who was not known for knitting or cooking but she, <laughs> she did apparently darn socks. And what she used to darn socks was a light bulb. Oh, isn't that interesting? Because I was looking around, I thought, I don't have a darning egg or mushroom or anything. And I found a an egg-shaped rock that I used. And it worked fine. Put a rubber band yeah. around there and you're you're good to go. But, and I felt so like I have sock yarn. I can't say it's a great stash buster because, you know, maybe all of 20 inches. (laughs) You maybe need three yards or something at the most. That's probably a really big hole. That's a big song on that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, you're not really getting through your stash. And it's nice because there again, I didn't use the color of the sock. I, I thought, you know, and I'm, I'm not even going to go on a search for this color to match it. Just used a, a different color. And it's, so far, it's been great. Well, explain, though, how, because not uh, not everybody has done this before, how you use the rock or the mushroom or whatever. So you put the, the whatever you have, the light bulb, rock, mushroom, into your sock. And my, for me, the, the threadbare part was at the heel. So put it in the heel, wrap a rubber band around the rest of the sock. So it was taut on the stretch. Yeah. Yeah. Over the rock. And then you make a, basically a warp for like for weaving. So you're going to go in and out. And I found a a YouTube tutorial. So I'll, I'll, I'll put the link in for that. 
but you make a warp and then you weave the weft the other way so you get this little woven patch over your sock i mean it took maybe 10 minutes So. That is so cool. Because I, I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've really ever mended. I've sometimes sewed a hole together, but Mm-hmm. that's different. And this is for more, it's when something is threadbare. So basically the basic structure of the weave is still in there. You're just sort of making it thicker. you're not actually reinforcing the threads it's it's a patch on top Top. so yeah so the intent the intended purpose is for a hole an actual hole but in my case i still had material there so it just Oh, okay. lays on top Well, of it I, I love knowing that about Grandma Louie because I do remember that she used to, she liked to make blankets that she would stitch the satin edge around the blanket to finish it. And she liked doing that. And she also liked hemming. She's very Oh, good yeah. at mending. So she, she would like hem if you had pants that needed hemming. She would hem them and she would always say the same thing when she gave them to you, which is, well, I hope you don't put your foot through it, which, <laughs> which it, and you'd look at, and her stitches were tiny and perfect. Like, I, I don't know what, the, what tiny foot was going to go through one of these stitches. I love that she would always say that though. We have her daughter, so our aunt, is a great sewer who sews all kinds of quilts and made, I think we've talked about this, made dolls for us. And Oh, yeah. yeah, so there was, and actually there's a, a handkerchief that was crocheted by, I think, grandma's mother. That, you know, so there is on both sides, there's craftiness on both sides. There's craftiness, Of course, yeah. of course, it was probably more from necessity than. But, well, yeah, I mean, because socks can be expensive and good socks can be really expensive, especially these days. But Yeah, I love yeah. that. I love that idea, too. But, Yeah, yeah. So here's but. to a year of maybe wearing your things that you've made and Yes. repairing things Yes. that you have. Yeah. And watch the video again. It's um, it's called Visible Mending, and we'll put a link in it. It's definitely worth it. I have to say, I love the end part when, so the little the little knitted mouse who has the terminal cancer, she's sitting there with her patched up little sweater, and her friend comes in and knits her a little piece of cake. Yeah, And it yeah. gives her a little piece of cake. And it's this beautiful, warm moment between these two knitted friends, this moment that brings together making and friendship. And I don't know how they do that, but somehow it just seems like you have the sense that the friend mouse is saying, I see you. And I wanted to make you something that would make you happy and let you know that you're loved. And That's what this whole thing is about, and it's beautiful. So watch it, and then watch it again and again and again, because it's fabulous, and will inspire you to mend your socks and to celebrate anything that is broken 
as an opportunity for fixing. So I think we've come to the end of our first 2024 podcast. Do you want to say anything else? Like check out our website? Oh, yeah. Check out our website at and subscribe. Yes, please subscribe. Yes. And I think it's time to say, whatever you do, don't, don't knit, knit like, like my sister. sister. Oh, so that's something I mean, we can maybe fix. Yes. <laughs> Bye. Happy New Year. <laughs>